turn it with you and kind of uh, just hopefully contribute to the season here, the spirit of the season. And so we're looking forward to that. You know, I thought I might mention, uh, I want to give special uh, attention to my sister Sue, who uh, flew in for a couple weeks from Wisconsin. Uh, and so we're glad to have Sue. You might want to work your way over there to visit with Sue. Uh, you know, she's kind of praying about where to retire after the end of this school year. Uh, you know, I believe it's God's will, you know, for her to be in Colorado. Uh, but maybe, you know, you can go over there and just... Uh, you know, share some verses with her, things like that. Um, we're kind of don't want to put any pressure, undue pressure, maybe godly pressure, though, you know, that sort of thing. And of course, my mom is here as well, so we're excited to have mom. Rob Nielsen once made the comment, I always know when Tim is on because uh, that's when his mom shows up. So, um, but anyway, it is great to have everybody here, and uh, we're sure looking forward to that. I also had a wonderful time, by the way. I just thought of my son Ryan flew in from Seattle this week for two days. I was able to spend two days with Ryan, and we just had a great time, and uh, God's doing a lot in his life. And he actually kind of flew in to share some of those things. And he also uh, wanted me to listen to some uh, vid- tapes with him. So we listened to a couple tapes together, one of which I just thought, boy, you know what? If we can get it working here today, <laughs> that would be a great uh, addition for you all to listen to today as well. It ties in with my message. Um, and so we'll uh, see if we can get that running. I do have this to say about my my boys, one is six eight, two or six two, uh, but I can still take them. Um, it is, uh, it's got to be a good day. Uh, they've got to have their hands tied behind their back, and uh, I got to be able to deliver the first punch. I mean, then I think we've got a fighting chance. Uh, but what do you say? Um, we pray, and uh, we'll see if we can get this video going. We're having some technical challenges. If not, I've got a great backup verse that we'll use instead. Uh, but let's go ahead and pray. This tape, by the way, if we get her going, is by John Piper. He's a respected pastor from the Omaha area. Uh, he basically is the one who narrates this tape, and he's uh, sharing this message that he created at a conference he's invited to in Minneapolis. Minnesota. And so again, I think you'll like it. But uh, let's pray. If someone can shut the lights off while I'm praying, and then Dale, if he can get me started right after the prayer here, okay? Lord, thank you so much for this time uh, to be together, to really examine who you are, and really why we celebrate your birth here this Christmas season. We just pray that you guide us here in the moments ahead as we explore the greatness of your personhood and all that you mean to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Prayer is that you will know, that you will press on to know the supremacy of Christ. The supremacy of his deity equal with God the Father in all of his attributes the radiance of his glory and the exact image of his nature the supremacy of his eternality that makes the mind want to explode with the imponderable thought that Jesus Christ never had a beginning. He is simply there. Absolute reality with which we reckon. 
must rise to the supremacy of his eternality while all the universe including this building and your body and this earth and all the galaxies are fragile contingent like a shadow in comparison to the substance of Jesus Christ we must know the supremacy of his never-changing constancy oh to have virtues that never change a character whose commitment is constant yesterday today and forever let us know the supremacy of his constancy and let us know the supremacy of his knowledge that makes the library of congress look like a match box and makes all the information on the internet look like a 1940s farmer's almanac and makes all of quantum physics and everything that Stephen Hawking has ever dreamed look like a first grade reader. We must know the supremacy of the knowledge of our Lord. We must know the supremacy of his wisdom that has never been perplexed by any problem whatsoever, nor can he be counseled by any person or any being in the universe. We must know the supremacy of his authority. All authority is mine in heaven and on earth and under the earth. No change. All authority. Changing times and seasons, removing kings, setting up kings, doing according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? We must know the supremacy of his providence, without which not a single bird in the extended reaches of the Amazon forest has ever fallen off of any limb, and without which not one hair turns white or black. We must know the providence of Jesus. We must know the supremacy of his word, which upholds the universe by the word of his power. All the galaxies, molecules, atoms, and subatomic reality nobody has yet dreamed of down there where no one has yet looked. We must know the supremacy of his power to walk on water and cleanse lepers and heal the lame and open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf and cause storms to cease and with two words to raise the dead. Lazarus, come forth! Or one word to raise the dead. In your blood I said to you, live! We must know the supremacy of his power. We, we must know the supremacy of his purity. He never sinned. He never sinned. He never had one millisecond of a bad attitude or a sinful lust. We must know the supremacy of his trustworthiness. He never breaks a promise. He always keeps his word absolutely without fail. We must know the supremacy of his justice. He will render all accounts settled in the end in the universe, either on the cross or in hell. No injustice will remain when Christ is finished with his supreme justice. We must know the supremacy of his patience. He has endured you and me for decades. He has endured this city and brings the sun. Can you imagine why the 
sun rose on this city this morning, this wicked city, this world so full of us type sinners and he makes paradise rise in the sky in Minneapolis. What kind of patience are we dealing with here? We must know the supremacy of his servant-like sovereign obedience. Kept every one of his father's commands absolutely and in the end embraced the cross with total willingness. We must know the supremacy of his meekness and lowliness and tenderness. He will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering flax. We must know the supremacy of his wrath. One day it will explode on this world from heaven such that all who have rejected him will call for rocks to crush their brain lest they have to face the wrath of the Lamb. We must know this when I look at the beheadings. And I hear someone ask, where is your supreme Christ? My answer is really easy. He is in heaven storing up almighty wrath in fury to pour out on all those who commit such sins. That's where he is. And you better get right with him and repent or you will all likewise perish. It's not a hard question to answer biblically. We must know the supremacy of his grace which gives to the spiritually dead rebels like us life wakens faith in hell-bound haters of God justifies the ungodly with his own righteousness we must know the supremacy of his love which dies for us while we are yet sinners and gives to the absolutely undeserving the ability for ever-increasing joy in making much of him know the supremacy of his gladness in the fellowship of the Trinity infinite power infinite energy infinite joy rising spilling over in the creation of a universe and becoming for you one day an inheritance for every struggling saint we must know this is what we were made for Press on to know the Lord. We are made to know Christ. We're not made to do little diddly things. We're made to know this massive Christ. This world is little two-second slice. And then with Him or not forever. It's what we are created to know and do and be about. And when we know Him in those ways we have begun to know the outskirts of his supremacy. For time would fail to speak of his supreme severity and invincibility and dignity and simplicity and complexity and resoluteness and calmness and depth and courage. If there is anything admirable, if there is anything worthy of praise in all the universe, it is summed up in Jesus Christ. He is always infinitely admirable in 
everything and over everything supreme, over all galaxies and endless reaches of space, over the earth, from the top of Mount Everest, 29,000 feet up to the bottom of the Pacific Ocean, 36,000 feet down in the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Rim. He is sovereign and supreme over all plants and animals, from the peaceful blue whale to the microscopic killer viruses. He is supreme over all weather and all movements of the earth, hurricanes, tornadoes, monsoons, earthquakes, avalanches, floods, snow, rain, sleet. He is supreme over all chemical processes that heal or destroy cancer, AIDS, malaria, flu, and all the amazing grace of antibiotics and a thousand healing drugs that we do not deserve. He is supreme over all countries and governments and armies. He's supreme over Al-Qaeda and the terrorists and the kidnappings and the suicide bombings and the beheadings. He is supreme over Bin Laden and Al-Zarqawi. He is supreme over all nuclear threats from Iran and Russia and North Korea. He is supreme over politics and elections and debates on Thursday. He's supreme over media and news and entertainment and sports and leisure. He's supreme over all education in universities, no matter what they teach. And he's supreme over all scholarship and science and research. He's supreme over all business and finance and industry and manufacturing and transportation. And he's supreme over the internet and all informational systems. As Abraham Kuyper famously said, there is not one square inch on planet Earth over which the risen Christ does not say, my Until he comes with the glory of his Father and all his angels in flaming fire, giving relief to those who trust him and absolutely destroying to the uttermost in everlasting conscious torment those who have rejected him, saying, Where is your God? to add words to what we've just seen and I'm certainly happy that uh, Uh, I'm glad for John Piper and individuals who can elaborate upon this. But, you know, there's just really not even enough words. There really aren't even words to express the depth of the reality of God's supremacy. Uh, imagine even being able to have a thought without a word. You can't. You've got to have words to think. You've got to have words to capture and express realities and thoughts. 
And there's so much about God that there just aren't even words existing that could be utilized, let alone know what those words are. They don't even exist that could be utilized to express the reality of God's supremacy. When I saw that video the first time, my mind jumped to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, in which Paul, being in the unenviable situation of having to defend his apostleship to the Corinthians, a people that he first visited, started the church there, one of the first missionary efforts into the world, making Christianity a world religion. Paul went there. They became Christians through his message. They embraced this supreme God. They became Christians, but then people followed Paul. And they came up and they began to speak against Paul and cast doubt in the Corinthians' minds about the person Paul and who he is and what he represented. So he had to defend his apostleship. And part of that defense in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2 through 4, was his rendition of an event that happened in his life 14 years earlier, he said, at the time of the letter that he at the time of the writing of this letter, in which he was caught up into paradise and he said I don't know if it was in my body or just my spirit or what God knows I don't know but I do know this I saw things that were inexpressible in paradise things that man is not even permitted to tell I think there are things that man is not even able to tell because words just fall so far short Uh, And again, there's not even words that can capture the reality of of this supreme God whose birth we celebrate at Christmas time. You know, there's another verse. It's the Lord's Prayer that takes on more meaning to me when I saw this video, as you just have. Just the beginning part of the great Lord's Prayer that so many of us probably grew up with. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I was just intrigued by this little simple prayer. Because all that we saw to be true of God in paradise, in heaven, his righteousness and holiness and justice and supremacy over all, that's what he wants on earth. He wants his kingdom that we saw some glimpse of through John Piper's eloquence. We saw some glimpse of it, but he wants that kingdom lived out on planet earth. His kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And not just on earth, but in your life, in my life. He wants his kingdom, his will lived out in each of our individual lives. And that's such an amazing thought. And it's because he's not just a cosmic power or force. This prayer says it well. He's our father. And he wants his children to be just like him. Jesus put it quite well in the Sermon on the Mount. Just as he is perfect, our heavenly father. Jesus says, we too are to be perfect as our heavenly father is. That's what God wants for us. We have a hard time grappling, incorporating that into our fallen lives, our sinful lives. We're sinners. So we just, you know, expect people to cut us slack. I know I do. God wants perfection from us because he is supreme. He is perfect. 
He's holy, righteous, just, infinitely so, with words that cannot be used because they don't exist, that could try to describe the infinite holiness of this great God of ours. Nonetheless, Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount, God wants us perfect. He wants his kingdom on earth, not just in heaven. He wants his kingdom in our lives, not just in heaven. Because we're his children and he's our father. You know, there was a point in time many years ago when one of the apostles, Peter, came face to face with what we're trying to talk about this morning. And I'd like to read that passage for you here in Luke chapter 5, verse 4 through 8. And it's an amazing moment in Peter's life when he realized that he was to be perfect as his heavenly father. When he realized that God was holy and just and righteous. When he realized that God was supreme. He was fishing. It was just a regular day in Peter's life in Luke chapter 5, we begin reading that Jesus came up to the boat that Peter and Simon had been fishing in all night long. And it said that Jesus got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon or Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught people from the boat, the people that were on the shoreline. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Peter, put out into the deep water now, Peter, and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked all hard all night and haven't caught anything. But it, because you say so, I will let down those nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the second boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that both began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, what did he see? He saw the supremacy of Jesus over the fish. And when he saw that, he fell on, on, at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. That was the point in Peter's life when he understood what we need to understand. God is holy. Infinitely holy. God is infinitely perfect. He's infinitely just, infinitely righteous, and we're sinners who must fall at his feet. When we understand that, we will fall at his feet, and we will say, depart from me, for, for I'm a sinner, and you are so holy, infinitely so. You see, there is a great obstacle. There is a great obstacle between you and your God, between me and my God, and it's an obstacle that will prevent me from ever being with that God. Call it heaven. Call the opposite hell as I spoke on a couple weeks ago. Not being with God. But this great obstacle will block that union. Every culture on earth understands this. That's why every culture has their own religion. To try to grapple with this obstacle. Every human being's senses exist. We must harden our hearts. To prevent us from sensing the reality of this great obstacle. We must harden our hearts and convince ourselves otherwise. God is too nice to ever be righteous and holy and just and infinitely perfect. That's what we will argue with ourselves. But he's all the things that 
this movie depicted and more. But this great obstacle between us and our God is simply this. God's holiness. God's holiness is what prevents us from having a relationship with him. His infinite holiness. And we are all like Peter's at his feet. Recognizing our sin in our lives. And then another amazing thought that I walk away with is I see this great God as, again, Piper tried to portray the best he could, is the fact that, um, I'm sorry, I'm going the wrong direction here, is the fact that Jesus, that little baby in Bethlehem, is one and the same as the God John Piper portrayed in that video. Jesus is that God. He is that holy, righteous God. There's not, as John Piper mentioned, not one square inch on planet Earth, but what Jesus says, mine. He is supreme over all that he's created. In John it says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. The Word, and through him all things came into being. Nothing's come into being that has come into being except through him. And the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. That one who became flesh is Jesus. And we beheld his glory. Glory is the one... And only, and his birth was foretold from ages past. Long before his birth, Isaiah predicted, A child will be born to us, and unto us a son will be given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name will be Wonderful Counselor. His name will be Mighty God. His name will be Everlasting Father. His name will be Prince of Peace. Who are we speaking of? Who? We're speaking of Jesus. Jesus is the eternal father. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Jesus is the mighty God. Jesus is the prince of peace. Isaiah foretold would one day be born. But as revelation began to be revealed, we learn more and more, even from this verse, about the great God in heaven and the God then that became human flesh on earth. And that is that he is a wonderful counselor. He's holy, but he's also loving. He wants to be available to you in your darkest moments. He's been available to me in mine. He wants to be available to us to not only uh, listen to our prayers. He wants to comfort us in our distress. And he wants to guide us when there's doubts and questions and we're not sure the direction. We're not sure how we can get through this life. And he wants to not only guide us, he wants to enable us through the spirit he's given us, empowered us with. He is the wonderful counselor. But he is still that holy God in that manger as a baby. He is the mighty God. He created all things, as I read in John. And not less, he's not less than God. He's equal with God. He told his disciples, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Nothing is too hard for Jesus. Nothing is. You can say, well, they nailed him on a cross, but they didn't, he didn't have to let him. He allowed that to happen. 
He was supreme even over the cross. And that baby is God in that, in that little manger. I remember going to Israel. Mom took us the first time and we found that little manger. Greg, you had a little video of a little cement manger last week. We put Fiona in that little manger like that. And it's just kind of incredible to visualize that little baby in that concrete, probably concrete manger. But that's where Jesus was when he became a human being. That great supreme God was a humble God. He has all power in heaven, all power on earth. He's the eternal father. He's given us his nature. He's given us life. But he's also the prince of peace. Again, he came to give us rest. He loves us. He wants us to have peace with God. He wants to remove the obstacle. He wants us to have the peace of God. He wants us to have peace from God. That's what Jesus is. That's who Isaiah could foresee from the distance. He foresaw this child being born. We look back and we see it with a lot more clarity than Isaiah saw it. We see Jesus. We have little excuse to fall at his feet when we recognize that this is 2014 because of him. He split history in half. And he came for this a purpose. He came to be the propitiation for our sins. One of the most important words in the Bible, propitiation, which means satisfaction or substitute for our sins. That's why he came. Jesus is God's substitute for the sin that we are stamped by. There's other religions. And there's sincere people following those religions. But only Jesus who is God in human flesh, is God's provision for our sins. We can go on with this uh, more about Jesus, but not only is he God, he's also a man. And when we think of the manhood of Jesus, sometimes I go to, because I'm interested in history and I'm interested in genealogy, I like to think about genealogy. I'd like to just mention this about my genealogy. I have an ancestor, a grandmother who's a prostitute. I have an ancestor who was in an incestuous relationship. Conceived, gave birth. That child was one of my grandfathers. I have an ancestor that was a murderer. I have one that was an adulterer. Now, I'm not Tim Cavanaugh speaking right now. I'm Jesus. That's my Jesus. That's my family tree. That great supreme God that you saw became a man with a genealogy of that nature. He humbled himself to come to our earth to reach us. And because there is no other way. I'm going to tell you right now, if there was another way to be saved, if there's another way to be redeemed, God would have chosen it. Sending Jesus was a very bloody solution, but it was the only solution for him to save us. 
Here in Philippians, another great verse. Isaiah was a good verse on God's manhood too. It says a child will be born to us. His name is Eternal Father. That's both, that verse is a God-man verse. But here in Philippians, we read about the humanity of Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus became a man. That supreme God we saw earlier in the video actually became incarnated, became a human being. And one person put it this way, Mary delivered Jesus that he could deliver Mary. Mary delivered Jesus so that he could deliver the world and provide a means of salvation to grapple with the great obstacle, God's holiness. That has to be resolved. That obstacle has to be resolved. And only God could do that resolution. By coming to this earth himself. Dying on that cross himself. To pay the penalty of our sin. And thereby removing the obstacle. For the wages you see. Well for all have sinned. We know that. And fall short of God's glory. Peter knew it. We know it. And the wages of that sin is we must die. Why? Because the great obstacle is God's holiness. His eternal holiness is the obstacle that even one of our sins will separate us from him. Like water and oil is separate from each other. Our sin and this eternal holy God will be separate from one another. And the wages of this sin then is death. But... Jesus came to this earth as the perfect sinless sacrifice, a death that he could offer on the cross. And in God's economy, that death, the infinite, dying for a finite number of sins, in God's economy is satisfaction for the sins of the world. He died once for all time for all sin, it says in Hebrews. Christ indeed has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law, When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was cursed on that tree and God poured his wrath out on Jesus Christ as he hung on that tree. His wrath for the sins of mankind and your sins and my sins 2,000 years ago and for all the sins before that time as well. Jesus rescued us by becoming that curse for us, by becoming the one who died on the cross for us. And in 2 Corinthians 5.21 we read, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. That's how the obstacle of his holiness has been dealt with. And how now... What we see from God is mercy and love, patience and goodness and kindness, long-suffering, longing for us one day to be with him now in paradise. A reality that is now made possible in only one way. God dying on the cross for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in Jesus 
we might become the righteousness of God. And finally, in Ephesians 3.12, in Jesus and through Jesus, we approach God. Because the sin has been dealt with, we approach God with freedom and in confidence. It's nothing that we've done on ourselves. It's all that what he has done for us. But it's in him. And because we are now in him through faith. By the way, that should be in him through faith in him. I missed the word faith. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And so it's through our faith in his provision, Jesus, that we have dealt with the obstacle of God's holiness. And can experience his love and mercy. For all eternity in paradise. You know they say the very best gift. That God has given us. When we place our trust in Jesus as our savior. Is not forgiveness. The very best gift is really not even righteousness. Being made righteousness. Of course we still sin. But God sees us now in Jesus. When he looks at me. He's in a way just seeing Jesus here. Because through faith I'm in Jesus. And now Jesus' death pays for my sins. But it's not forgiveness. It's not righteousness. It may not even be eternal life itself. The best gift is that we might better see and savor savor the supremacy of who Jesus is. As we saw on that video. He was delivered by Mary. And he was delivered uh, to save us. To deliver us. And so. I would just leave us all with this challenge today. If you have yet to come to the point in your life. Where you as Peter fall to the feet of Jesus. And acknowledge I'm a sinful man. Before this great and holy God. That I just feel must leave my presence. All we need to do is cry out. In the privacy of our heart. In the seat we're sitting in today in this room. And just cry out Jesus. I embrace you as my savior. And I long for you to express yourself to me and help me begin a relationship with you. And in that way, his kingdom has come, not only in heaven, but even on this earth, even in your heart. His kingdom is advanced through that faith when you accept him as your savior. Fulfilling the Lord's prayer. And in God's eyes, we are made perfect. Fulfilling what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. You're to be perfect as your heavenly father is. But the only way to that perfection is through Jesus. And accepting him. And thereby receiving his righteousness. His perfection. When I was in college, I became a Christian at 19 years of age. Though brought up in a wonderful home that instilled wonderful religious values in my life. But if you were to ask me, Tim, how would you get to heaven? I would have said, by living a good life, I would hope that I could go to heaven. You see, I hadn't come to the point where I recognized Jesus' supremacy over my soul. Jesus' supremacy over the universe. I didn't realize it wasn't by me trying harder or living a good life that falls short. It was simply by accepting Jesus and what he did on the cross for my sin. And that faith has the byproduct of beginning to change my life more and more. But it's not to change life. It's accepting Jesus as my Savior. Over 40 years ago now. 
by which I became a Christian. Well, not, uh, yeah, over 40. <laughs> I thought, surely the mathematics is wrong when I did that, yeah. Um, but no, math doesn't lie. And guys, that would be my prayer for you as well, that you would embrace Jesus as your Savior this morning. And if you have already, just renew your desire to read the scripture every day and long to grow in your knowledge of him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time together. At Christmas time, we celebrate your birth. We often neglect to remember just all that means. Hopefully today, Lord, it would help us fathom a little bit more just what that, uh, your, who you are and what you mean to us and what that, your birth here on earth, what it really means to us. We want to fathom it more. Uh, Lord, we just commit our lives to you. Uh, Lord, if we have yet to embrace you as our Savior, we say in the privacy of our heart at this moment, Jesus, come into my life. I want to accept you and I believe in you as my Lord and Savior. We commit these prayers to you, our lives to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Tim. Well, thank you for coming and being with us this morning. Um, I know that I, if you're new here, or even if you're not new, I'd love to talk with you and uh, get a chance to know you a little bit better. And I know Tim would do. I'd love to speak with you this morning as well. Um, I got to hang out with Tim and his wife, Julie, a little bit on Tuesday night, and they are probably the easiest people in the world to speak to. Like, I feel like I could sit there with them and talk for hours and never get tired of it. So if you haven't met Tim... Go meet him. He'll be standing back there. I hope you're not running out the door. But anyway, thank you, Tim. Again, just to reiterate those announcements, if you're new with us, we're really glad that you're here this morning. We know it takes a lot of courage to come into a group of people you've never met before. If you could, we would love for you to fill out one of our Connect cards. Um, They are sitting on the back table back there. Just to give us a chance to know a little bit more about you. We'd love to follow up. We have a special gift for you that would show up at your house here sometime in the next couple of weeks. Um, again, if you're trying to sign up and go to Frontline, tomorrow is that registration deadline. Tomorrow at midnight. So you've got about, what, 36 hours to get it done. So um, other than that, we hope to see you on Wednesday night. If we do not see you Wednesday night, I just want to say from the Firehouse Church to you, Merry Christmas. And otherwise, we'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week. Thanks. Sweet Jesus Christ to do a sin